0: Over the past uh, month I had a chance to get to two different graduations. My son from Slippery Rock, uh, Michaela's at EF. uh, It's interesting when you go to these graduations and and they happen thousands of times over the course of this kind of period, uh, every year, uh, you kind of see that there's a tendency of the same kind of style of graduation speeches. Now, I I get that graduation speeches are a tough gig because no one goes to graduation thinking, oh, I can't wait to hear the speech, other than maybe the relatives of the ones giving the speech. Uh, And usually it's kind of short and sweet, and and hopefully he keeps it that way. But you hear a lot of this idea that, well, now we're ready to take on the world. Uh, We've got this endless possibilities, this endless potential." We just need to be determined, be ourselves, be courageous. These kind of phrases, these terminologies, these things we use. And uh, over and over again, you'll, you'll hear some of the same people being quoted. Mark Twain, Thomas Edison, now maybe AI is being used a lot more. I don't have no idea. Uh, I did try it out. It's pretty cool. It's like thir- five seconds you can get a graduation speech. Uh, and, and all these things are, are, are pushing a, a, an idea and a, a, a narrative about what life is and what the future can be. Which, all in all, is isn't a bad thing. I'm not saying they're, they're bad by any stretch. But I think they're missing one really important element that is true about life. In fact, one of the greatest American thought people, one of the greatest American poets, uh, kind of said it this way. Bob Dylan. You may be an ambassador to England or to France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may like to be a heavyweight chair, Or you may be a heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you got to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You got to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or maybe the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. His thought is pretty profound in the fact that as much as we want to live as this unlimited tapped potential and be true to ourselves and be free to do these things, we ultimately all are going to serve somebody. Now he only lists the, the devil and the, the Lord and there's two options there. There are other options. You can serve another person in a relationship. You can serve yourself as the chief end of all wisdom and knowledge that you I think you know and have. You can serve society. You can serve all sorts of things. But this idea that we live in a free living, that we are free to live is really an illusion. And we can make choices. I'm not saying you're bound. I'm not saying you can't make choices. But We're not really free in that ultimate sense of freedom. In fact, the world loves the phrase that Moses said to Pharaoh, set my people free. Remember that phrase? You hear that? Sometimes you can quote it. Martin Luther King Jr. quoted it. Set my people free. It's used all the time. Unfortunately, they rarely add the second part of that, that you may serve me. You see, God was indicating a truth in that, that As we gain our freedom, and he's talking specifically in this moment to the Israelites in Egypt, that they'd be free. But then the next question comes, what do I do with that? What do I do with that freedom? Because as you become free, then you are going to choose to serve something or someone. Again, one of the prevailing thoughts right now is this kind of expressive individualism that you just have to be true to yourself. And in that, there's this illusion that you are free to just be who you are. Maybe for some, it's it's, it's kind of breaking free from the the, the society norms. Or maybe it's free to break free from all other kind of things. Or maybe even break free from the way that you were raised. And you just got to be true to yourself. But you're still serving something. You're serving the idea of what you think is good. You're serving the idea of yourself. I know for me and that, that brings a lot, of free, or a lot of fear because if I was to express myself individually I, I would put myself at the top and I would be very scared because I know of all my failings and shortcomings and I know of all the times I thought I was smart and wise and I was really a fool. I know all the times I thought I knew what was good and yet it wasn't good. And so in this thought, in this idea, I want to hold it in our backdrop as we move into our story of Jacob. Because I think there's something pretty profound as we're going to look at in this question of who you're living for in the story of Jacob. When we find Jacob again, we are picking this back up in Genesis chapter 30. Jacob has been working for his uncle for 20 years. 14 years of that was trying to get his, his bride, and, and then there was the, the, the deception and, and the lies. <coughs> and then he worked another, uh, uh, you know, part for seven years, and then seven years, 14. Then he worked another six years helping <coughs> his uncle uh, expand his wealth. And yet a time had now come where he wanted to be able to break free from that, but his uncle wasn't ready to give up his good luck charm. His uncle realized the 20 years that Jacob was with him, he was gaining in prosperity. His, his little empire was, was growing, and so he, he didn't want to lose Jacob. And so in Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, if you have your Bibles, turn, turn there with me. It says, uh, Labram says back to him, <coughs> do me this favor. I've discovered by divine sign that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So Jacob asks for this request and, and, and Labram doesn't want to give that up. Because he knows that the Lord has blessed him. Now now Labram from our understanding doesn't really have a a relationship with with Yahweh. Even though he refers to Yahweh here. It's more of an indication that he believes in some superstitious mentality. That because Jacob was present uh, he was going to be blessed. Because of that he wanted to keep his good luck charm. That's that's kind of the the idea that, that Labram has here. And it leaves us with a very, very challenging principle here. What do we do when we have to work for someone that is not very honest, that is deceptive, that may disagree on principles or how we see life or doesn't agree with us? How are we to be able to work for them? How do we continue functioning if you work for a boss or a company or you work for the government or you work for any situation or you have to work with other people? And yet, you are to be able to be a good worker for them as they prosper. As they benefit from your labor. That's what Jacob is, is, is in this situation. And, and just kind of think with me for a second. For for 14 years, he, he was working to, to get his wife. And then he continues to work with them. And he sees this lying, deceptive uncle of his that doesn't believe in his Yahweh, prosper and grow. Think about it for a second. He's probably moments maybe out while he's tending the the livestock, by himself, shepherding, sitting on a rock and just thinking, man, this isn't fair. Why does this guy prosper? Why is this guy getting more stuff? Why is my work benefiting him? Why is he reaping the rewards? God, where are you? What are you doing? And this challenging principle comes into us. Well, what do we do when, when when we're we're stuck in this kind of moments? How are we to function? Well, I think one of these principles, and again, asking the question: Who do you live for? Is, is, is very vital in this, because if Jacob was saying he was living for himself, then he'd be justified to do whatever he wanted to do, just like Labram was justified to do whatever he wanted to do because he was living for himself. But because Jacob was living for Yahweh, even though he wasn't perfect, and we've already discussed this a lot of imperfections, even though he had an understanding of Yahweh and the blessing that was going to come, he decided or he made this decision at some point to say, I'm not going to follow Labram's methods, and I'm going to do something that seems countercultural to us, but yet powerful. Basically, he was working for the good of others. He was working for the good of others that included his deceptive, lying uncle. I mean, this principle is is extremely powerful if you think about it. To say that as you are working, you are going to make decisions to work for the good of your employee or your boss, or coworkers, or people around you, or even at school, or at home, or in your neighborhood, or in your community. I'm gonna I'm gonna work for the good of that because there's something called common grace common grace is the ability for us to be able to say they don't deserve it just like I don't deserve the grace given to me by God and yet I'm going to demonstrate to them grace or 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 the the goodness for them to work hard for them and 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 do well for them and if they prosper in that so be it to God that I'm not going to hold that as, as something that I am standing on a uh, kind of a moral high ground in that. And I'm going to say whatever God does with my good intention of working hard and, and doing good for them. And takes that as part of this common grace that I can, just can, can, can demonstrate to them. You know when, when, when Jesus said that the church is going to be salt and light. One of the greatest things we can do in that is take the bland meat of the world or the darkness of the world and demonstrate something different. And that's what Jacob's doing in the midst of this moment. He's demonstrating something different in this story. As we play this story out, Labram continues on in his deception. He continues on in his lying and cheating. And yet Jacob doesn't. And the... The, the contrast of that is fascinating. It's the same idea with Daniel and the Jews and, and the exile. Now if you know the story of Daniel you know that he was taken into exile by Babylon. And as he was taken into exile in chapter 1 we find that, that Daniel had a conviction not to eat of the, the, the food that was offered to him because it was against what he felt God had said. So Daniel demonstrates that this isn't a blanket statement. You just go along with the flow. He demonstrates that right there. He had some conviction. And there's a part of Christian liberty where conviction comes in and we are not to do that led by the Holy Spirit. That that is part of that. But but the other part of it, that Daniel continued to work for these kings that, that took Israel as captive and helped them prosper. Now, I don't think Daniel engaged in the, in the lying and the cheating or the deceptiveness. I think he held his integrity, but he also helped them benefit. He, he wouldn't have kept getting promoted. He wouldn't have been trusted if he was always fighting against the, the, the people of Babylon or the king. At some level, he was helping them and, and was interested in their development and growth and, and blessing and welfare. In fact, Jeremiah 29 tells us this. Jeremiah, you know, you love that passage 29 11, right? I know the plans for you, the Lord declares. Before that, it says this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in it, its welfare, you will find your welfare. That there's an element here where, I don't know if Jacob did it, but Jacob was to pray for Labram As much as you and I are to pray for our... Uh, employers, bosses, co-workers people in our neighborhoods and our communities we are to pray for their welfare we are to pray for the people that we disagree with we're to pray for them and to say Lord I, I, I pray that, you, that they have good welfare I pray that they would prosper now again how do we do that? I mean, we're not, we're not saying like, hey, their methods and their ways are the right thing. We're not saying it's good. We're not saying God's blessing their methods and their welfare. But, but in a sense, there's this common grace where we are to do this. I know this is extremely hard and, and difficult to, to work through because we want to be justified to treat people the way we think they deserve to be treated. And then you've got to ask yourself, is that what we're living for? Is that the master who we serve? now again hear me i'm not in one sermon saying we do everything we live in a world we just go with the flow again daniel 1 is a great indication no there are some things that our convictions come there are some things that we will not engage in but to have an overarching idea to recognize that we are to be able to have the welfare of others is a sense of common grace jacob was ready to go home with his family And for him to be able to go home, he he needed to provide for his family. And so he comes to Labram now, and he says, I need to be able to take care of my family. I need to be able to provide for my household whole. So so Jacob realizes, hey, uh, I've been serving you enough, and now the time has come. Again, it's not to say, okay, Jacob's going to serve Labram for the rest of his life. There was a season, there was a moment where he was invested in the prosperity of his uncle, even though his uncle didn't deserve it. That is coming to an end. Now the moment came for him to to be able to provide for his own household. Labram comes and he goes, well, I got to have an agreement. And so him and Jacob come up with an agreement. And in this agreement, it doesn't look very favorable for Jacob. Yet Jacob trusts God in it. This agreement they have is they pretty much take all this livestock that, that Labram has and they try to figure out okay, which one was Jacob responsible for, which one was Labram's. And so they come up with this idea where all the spotted and speckled goats and, and lambs, all the different colored ones, will be Jacob's, and all the, 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 the sense of the, the uh, non speckled, non spotted ones will be Labram's. Well, you can think about this for a sec. Well, Jacob's again getting the raw deal with this. He's getting the, the lesser desirable animals. Not only that, but Labran looks at this and says, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change the odds in my favor. Labram stacks the odds in his favor while taking it, uh, untenowned Jacob in this moment tells his sons to take all the, the spotted, all the speckled livestock and, and take them away so that they can't even mate with the other ones. And so, again, the deception, the lying, the tricks, uh, the, 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 just the, the self focused mentality of Labram is showing himself. Again, you want to you show the contrast between light and dark? Well, well, this is the moment right here. <laughs> Labram is, is doing everything possible to, to gain as much as he can for himself. And yet Jacob stays the course because he's trusting, I believe, and what we find out later in the next chapter, that God was involved. That God was in this. And because God was in this, Jacob wasn't going to follow the world's methods and tools. And so there's this amazing thing that you and I, I believe, can do, even though we live in a world that is full of corruption and and lying and deception, we don't have to be that way. We don't have to follow that method. We can say, I am going to trust in my master." in my Lord, in my God, that I can do things according to what he has deemed as good and that he will handle the results of it. That's what is happening in the story of Jacob. There was nothing in the story that would indicate Jacob would come out the victor or the winner in this kind of agreement that they had. And yet this is what takes place. This wisdom and discernment and again, hear me out. I'm not saying you need to go with every single thing that's happening. I'm not saying you need to turn an eye and, and, and just be blind. There is wisdom in discernment and discussion. But, but there's this moment here where Jacob just recognizes and says, Hey, if God's in this, God's got me. I don't need to follow suit with what Labram's doing. I don't need to be deceptive and lying. Now, again, Jacob has lied and been deceiving. He's not a perfect guy here. But in this moment, he seems to be doing what God is asking him to do, and so the story continues. And it's kind of this weird thing where, like, the, Jacob puts these branches and these reeds and these different animals. They mate and different stuff, and all of a sudden, he he starts having these spotted and specked uh, livestock, and they end up being stronger than the other ones. And so, at the end of the story, Jacob has a, a better. Livestock a better portion than Labram has. We don't know exactly all the ins and outs. We don't know if Jacob really knew some kind of secret trick. There's nothing here about that that we need to overstudy other than realizing that God was in this and God was blessing it. In fact, that's exactly what he said in the next chapter as we'll study next week when he basically said to, to, to Labram, look, the God of my father, the God of my grandfather... He's watching over me and, and he's, he's got me. And that's what happens in the story. That God was working out his purposes despite the intentions of man. And that's one of the things we can really trust when we live in a world that is full of intentions of men. Because those intentions are revealing who they live for. When they're living for the bottom line when they're living for their own empire, when they're living for their own power, when they're living for their own way. They're living for the intentions of man, but we don't live that way because we live for God. We are set free to now serve him. And in serving him, I will trust him. Although others may get more promotions, although my, my boss may get a bigger pot of the pie, although everyone else might be, seem to be winning around me, I know in the end that, that my God will work out all things according to his purposes. In fact, it's Jacob's son, Joseph, that ultimately comes to this, sorry, to this moment in Genesis 50. Later on in the, in the story in Genesis, when Joseph was uh, at, the, at the, the second in command of Pharaoh... When his brothers had tried to get rid of him and kill him and sell him off into slavery and God worked out all these things so that he could become second in command, he comes and he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That, that, that because of, the, of the, the famine that came upon Egypt God had been working out all these things to put Joseph in second command and to give him the dream and to prepare for that moment that Joseph could give his own family the food that they needed to survive, even though that they wanted to kill him. And Joseph would be able to look at them and said, you intended this for evil. God intended for good. That's keeping you alive and all these other people alive because of it. Man, what a powerful story. What a, what a powerful revelation for us to realize that when we serve God, that he will work out all things according to his will and his goodness. I know we have troubles, we have hardships, we have difficulties. You might be in that season right now. I I can't take that away from you. I can't tell you what is going to happen. I can't tell you how all this is going to play out. I can't tell you, well, better things are going to come down the road for you. Because in that, I'm saying somehow that everything's going to work out the way you want it to. And I'm not going to tell you it's going to work out the way you want it to. But it's going to work out the way that God wants it to. According to his purposes. And I think Jacob demonstrates that here in a really powerful way. While living out the good of those around him. And I think we got to take a step back a little bit and ask ourselves, am I I really concerned about the welfare of my city? Am I really concerned about the welfare of the people around me? Am I really concerned about the welfare of the, the company and the boss? Or am I too worried and focused on what they don't deserve because of all their actions? That I get stuck on those things instead of saying, you know what? I'm just going to demonstrate some common grace because I don't deserve the grace given to me by God. And I want to demonstrate some common grace to them. You see, as we ask this question, whether you're in the beginning, the middle, or you're just even lost in your story right now, we have to ask that basic, simple question who are we living for? Who are we living for? Because if we're living for God, then it, it, it changes everything. It changes the, the direction, the course, the, the path that we, what we go down. It, it, it eliminates all sorts of ways and methods that the world lives because I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to live according to God. And according to God, there's countless stories of over and over again of, of God just asking his people to be faithful in the moment. Even in the moment that it might not be where you want to be, or in the moment you might be in exile, you might be a prisoner, <laughs> you, you, you might be, might be just, just in a season where you don't want to be. Yet God is going to be asking you to faithful, not only faithful there, but to seek the welfare, to pray for those that are in your lives. It even comes down to this question what is good? It's my favorite question for graduates. What do you think is good? Because whatever you think is good is what you're going to pursue. It's what you're going to put your energy and your effort to. It's what your mind's going to move towards. It's what you want to, you want to strive towards. Unless someone is, is, is in a really, really bad place or, or, or clinic, clinically in a, in a negative spot, most people are going to want to pursue the good. Whatever they think good is. And whatever you think good is, is also going to answer what and who you live for. And so those two are really, really connected in this and yet, God in this wants us to work for the good of others. In some way or how, He wants us to work for the good of others. We don't, we don't just do things for ourselves. You're not just a little silo in a, in a, in a you know, uh, farm of life. You're not just a, a little island off by yourself. You're not just a lone ranger. You are living in a life in community. And God wants you to live for the good of others by His ways, by His tools, by His concepts trusting that God will work out all things according to his good purpose.